be a blessing for each one as we gather together in worship. But first, I just want to update you on a few family matters. Of course, we get this little hum down. Okay. As you know, this is Family Day weekend, and it's uh, and in celebration of the families God's blessed us with, we're offering uh, you a hot dog lunch today. Okay, so come on over to the gym after the service. I'm sure we'll have prayer and grace before we leave the service here later. But uh, just come on over, enjoy some hot dogs, and fellowship with one another. Just a reminder again that next Sunday we will be receiving a very special love offering for our missionary couple who is uh, going through a very difficult time right now. Uh, they're dealing with cancer, having to live away from home, all kinds of increased expenses and uh, insurance issues, and we want to really be able to bless them as God has blessed us. Now, just by way of word, because a few people have asked, uh, a love offering is not tax receivable, okay? So you give your offering in love. Um, the, the, Ontario, the federal government sort of doesn't like, Canada Revenue doesn't like uh, receiving people who get money from people. So it has to go to a mission organization, and this is not. This is going to directly to our missionaries. So please uh, give as God has blessed you. We're also excited to let you know now that we have a community bulletin board out in the hall just across from the coat rack, that first section of the bulletin. It's entitled Community News and that community is you. It's all about us, okay, there. And there's be some news items there periodically you can read. If you have something that you wanna bless other people with or make available to others, you can put little ads up there. And you'll notice that it might even be uh, an ad, which there is right now, for somebody who has some needs. And you can re address those and see if there's some way you might want to help. So be sure to check that out on your way there. Uh, Wednesday is commonly known on the uh, Christian calendar as Ash Wednesday, and it's the beginning of what we call Lent, the 40-day period before we come to our Easter celebrations. And our Wednesday morning prayer and Bible study group will be doing a special Lenten series, and that's at 10 o'clock or 10 to 10 uh, on Wednesdays, and anybody that is free and able would be welcome to join us. And uh, the series is, is taken on Jesus' saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And I think it's, it'll be a meaningful time of gathering together. Also, tomorrow evening is our Gray Matters time, I believe at 7 o'clock, and that's here in the church in the parlor, so you might want to mark that on your calendar. And just a reminder that there is a pre-service prayer group that meets in my office anytime from 9.15 to 9.45 on Sundays. And guess what we did today? We doubled our attendance. So you're, please come and join us. It's a wonderful time of being able to pray, pray for our service and for the needs of the church. And those are all the things I need to bring you up to date with regards to our church family here. So I'll ask now the worship team to lead us in worship. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Well, it's good to see you all this uh, Sunday morning, and it's going to be just a great time of uh, praising and worshiping the Lord together here. I want to begin with the words from Psalm 18, uh, the first three verses. It says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord, 
who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. I read that and I remembered, uh, because I, for a certain time I was in a French-speaking area, um, and the, their version of the Bible, that translation, verse 3 says, our verse 3 says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, but in French it said, um, uh, je m'écris béni soit l'éternel et je suis délivré de mes ennemis, which means, I say, bless the Lord, and I am delivered from my enemies. Uh, and it, it adds a little touch to it if you think about it, uh, that even in the midst of in in the midst of enemies, in the midst of of challenges and difficult times, when we take the the time to say bless the Lord or praise the Lord, that does something. It does something to us. It does something to the enemies surrounding us. It does something to the enemy attacking us. We let him know that no matter what, our heart posture doesn't change. We will praise the Lord, we'll bless him. And, and, and I pray that we have that attitude this morning. I know each one of us is going through something in life because we're not in heaven. But when we take that time on Sunday mornings and sing praises and worship to God, it does something to us it puts everything in perspective for us, and it lets the enemy know we will not be shaken no matter what happens. God is still worthy to be praised, and he's still worthy of our worship. So that's what we're doing this morning. So would you join us? Stand if you're able, and let's just do that this morning. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a
God there. Um, if I could describe Avalanche in three words, I would, uh, number one, say uh, restless. It was very tiring. Um, the other guys did not want to sleep at nights, and um, they made a lot of noise at nights. Uh, for the second one, I would say very uh, active, because we did a lot of activities, and they were very fun, and I had a very good time. And for number three, it would be very empowering very strong and I felt um, that everyone was learning stuff and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, some of your favorite things about Avalanche? Well, the food was one. Uh, they had some really good chicken burgers. Um, I found tubing a lot of fun. You got some. You gained a lot of speed when you went downhill. And I just liked being in our cabin with uh, the guys. It was a lot of fun. We invented a lot of games like dodgeball. Uh, we played a lot of kind of, you know, hide and go seek. But it's it was a little scarier than that. I'm not gonna get into that many details, but it was great. So awesome. It was a great experience. And yeah, it was super awesome. I mostly like hanging out with my friends at Avalanche. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, three reasons to describe Avalanche. The food was great. Um, it was like just really fun in total. Like I, we got to stay at one of the cabins. It was snowing up there. And yeah, the worship was great too. Uh, definitely my favorite part of Avalanche was probably the tubing because it went super fast and I almost hit the trees, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Excellent. And it was the most inconvenient spot. And what are three words that you'd use to describe Avalanche? Uh, definitely fun. Um, I mean, uh, just a good experience overall. You are here, moving in the midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship Officially stepping foot on Mars. Excellent. Let me let me get a good picture of Mars. All right. 
What a great time it was. So, uh, so no, our youth did amazing. They're all very respectful, very responsible, very polite. Truly a joy to be with. You heard and saw some of the activities and experiences that they had, the memories that they made, their fun activities like sliding, hockey, wall climbing, basketball, dance-offs, corporate worship with other youth there as well. You may have noticed that the cabin time came up a lot. It was, a it was fantastic to see them be able to interact and have a wonderful time together, getting to know each other in ways that they don't normally get to interact on a Wednesday night. By the way, the youth group on Wednesday night. Um, the fellowship there is just next level, where you get to spend a lot of time in different circumstances and get to know each other in different ways. We've been talking and we'll continue to talk on Wednesdays on how the message has impacted their lives. The message while we were up there was this. Life is an adventure, a road trip. Where is Jesus in relation to your car or your life? Is he outside of the car? Is he in the car and you're just taking suggestions? Or is Jesus driving the car of your life? Jesus knows the way and he should be the one driving. The speaker, Kara, which I thought was ironic, Kara and Kara, um, she also spoke on following God's leading in our life when God puts someone in our on our heart or on our mind, a godly desire to perhaps pray for someone or interact with someone, that we should follow him. We spoke more once we were back that God will never put on our mind in our heart something that does not agree with scripture, that that's an important factor is that God has already told us what he desires of us. He does desire to work in and through us to do his will. And we should discern with others more mature than us on how to follow those leadings, those Holy Spirit promptings, or as Kara called them, God's shoulder taps. It's like, hey, go over there. Hey, check that out. Points us in a certain direction. Desiring to draw closer to God and know more about him and know him more while getting to know each other more and going on an adventure together was an amazing experience, as you've heard from them. Thank you all for your prayers and your support. It was and will continue to be a blessing. Thank you. for the experience that our, that our youth were able to, to have at Avalanche and we continue to pray for our youth as they continue to grow in knowing Jesus and developing a relationship uh, with him. So at this time we are going to pray then uh, for 
our children uh, as they go to uh, Bible Town today. And uh, we will also be praying over the offerings that have been given this week. So would you join me at this time as we pray? Lord, we, we are so grateful um, in everything we see and what uh, we have heard uh, this morning. You, you, are, you are worthy of our praise. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you that uh, you do great things and you are faithful to continue to do that. And Lord, uh, today we pray uh, for our children, the children of this church as they go to their class today. We pray your blessing over them, and we pray that their eyes would be opened once again today to see the loveliness of Jesus um, and to know that you indeed are good and that you are faithful. We pray that their hearts would be open to receive the message uh, that is given to them today, and uh, we pray for their teachers as well, that you would grant them wisdom, uh, the, just the right words to speak today and that you would grant them your patience as, uh, as they minister to our children today. Lord, we also pray your blessing over the, uh, the offerings that have been given uh, this week. Lord, we acknowledge every time that you are our provider, you are our source, and we have nothing and are nothing without you. And so these offerings that we give uh, are in response to uh, what you have done for us, and they are only a portion of what you have given us. And uh, we give these offerings as a sign that we, we give ourselves as well to you. Um, and we pray that you would bless the offerings that have been given and use them for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, we want to see your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we give with cheerful hearts knowing that you are a good God and knowing that in your hands what we have is so much more and what we have given is so much more. So we thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, thank you for joining us for the first part of this service, singing so well with us, and now you can go to Bible Town. Christ alone, 
Especially for the times that we live in right now um, in our region in our province in our country in our world it's just so fitting that we pray this prayer 
asking the Lord to, to heal our land, being willing to humble ourselves, to let go of our pride, to let go of pointing fingers as, at other people as the problem when we have faults as well as Christians in our church. And so we need to pray. And we need to pray that if the Lord wants to change something and start something, that it would start in the house of God. And so I just want to invite us this morning to, to sing that prayer once again. God, we pray to you. We humble ourselves again. We pray you would hear our cry and heal our land. So that those that we tend to point the finger at, that they would see in God's church that there's a Savior. So let's just take a moment here and let's, let's just sing this prayer with sincere hearts this morning. Because more than any type of healing, we need spiritual healing today. Healing in hearts, healing in minds, healing in relationships, healing in lives, even inside the church. Let's just pray this prayer. So God, we pray to you, humble ourselves again, Lord, will you heed our cry, Lord, will you heal our land, that every eye will see, that every heart will know, the one who took our sin. Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, even as we long for your spirit to come into this world, 
and to bring healing amongst the nations, to bring healing to the souls of all people. We come acknowledging you, that you are our gracious Heavenly Father. And your love for us is so deep that nowhere can we ever be excluded from it. So mighty is your presence that we know that you are right here with us. For you are the God of hosts, high above the feeble efforts of humankind. Yours is the battle against evil, even as yours is the victory over death. In our worship, O God, we come before you, mindful that we live in a land that desperately needs to know you, to honor and worship you as God alone, to bow at Jesus' feet and declare him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, it's our prayer that you would come, that you would know, that we would, the world would know the peace and the goodness that you purpose for all of us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, you call your children to live as brothers and sisters in love and harmony, even as you have given your Son to be our Savior, the Prince of Peace. Grant that we who are called by his name would yield our lives, our ways, our minds, our beings to you and to you alone. Even as we live striving for reconciliation and understanding and peace in all our relationships with one another, within the world that we live in. All for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life not only for us, for the we who sit in this room or watch online, but for the entire world. Father, we pray for peace throughout your world. We pray for all the national leaders around the world that they might have wisdom to know and courage to do what is right, even as we pray for all the people who live in lands near and far and especially for those who live right here in this part of the world we call home. We pray that our hearts might be turned to you, and that your righteousness and truth might prevail over the lies and half-truths that the world would rather believe. We pray for those who are working to find ways of reconciliation amongst those who have hurt others, even as we pray for those who suffer as a result of war, and other tragedies such as that terrible earthquake in Turkey. Prove yourself, O oh God, to be the God of hope for those who are hopeless, the God of comfort for those who are grieving, the God of grace and mercy in everyday life situations. And Lord, it's not only the world that we live in that needs to know your healing touch, but we who belong to you are also a people in need. The need of forgiveness for sins that we've committed against our holy God. May your spirit speak into our hearts and lives and, and by your grace and through your mercy, might our souls rejoice at your love and forgiveness as we confess our sins and our needs to you. We are a people who need a healing touch physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, 
Prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who brings life and wholeness into people as we lift our brothers and sisters before you. Touch and heal. We pray for Anne as she had to go back to hospital again this week. We pray for Willa, for Gus, for David and Gail, for Nancy, for Kelly, for Scott, for Nancy and Harvey, and so many others who need to know and experience your touch for themselves. Bring healing, O oh God, healing to our lands, healing to our bodies, healing to our souls. Comfort those who are grieving loss. Strengthen those who are needing to feel your arm around them. Touch each of us where we, are, where we need to experience you afresh in our lives. Spirit of God, fall afresh on us. And now as we come before your word, in these sacred, in these sacred moments, teach us as you speak your truth into our hearts and minds and lives. Even as we bow in worship and adoration, as we lift our hearts and beings in praise, prove yourself to be the God of grace and peace, as you not only hear our prayers, but answer them through Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, in whose strong and mighty name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Hot dog lunch. Today, hot dog lunch. Uh, so everyone who is here, you are invited to stay afterwards for a special time of fellowship around tables in the gym. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done this. And how fitting that we can do it on family day weekend. Uh, this is our true family here, uh, the family of God. And what a way to be able to spend it following our service today, uh, eating some delicious hot dogs. Uh, now, for those who don't find hot dogs delicious, we have lots of vegetables. So that's your, that's your gluten-free option uh, for you. No, there's like tons of veggies. I think they got like six platters of, of veggies. So it's going to be great. So I invite you to join us. Oh, let's dive into our other food, the, the most important food, the Word of God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them with me to the book of Acts chapter 5. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to read this passage together aloud. So you can look at it in the Pew Bible. We're gonna be, I'm going to be reading from the NIV 84 version. Uh, so I think what we'll do, we'll put it up on the, the slide here. I think I have it. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to please stand if you are able. And together, let's try to read this passage in unison if we can. Uh, so this is Acts 5, verses 12 to 16. Let's read this together. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. 
As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Amen. Wow. Amazing, amazing passage of scripture here. Um, we're going we're gonna to see just how significant the growth that took place that is summarized in these, these four verses is. Um, so the church really exploded. This could very well be one of the largest surges of growth in the early church. Wow, uh, wouldn't, I, I really appreciate verse 14 there. Now, this is the NIV version. Here's how the New King James Version renders this verse. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. We want to see that happen, don't we? People coming to Christ. <laughs> People being saved by God's grace through faith and, and, and joining the church and, and joining in fellowship with him, learning to walk according to scripture. And oh, it's, uh, it's what we want to see. It's interesting. I, I did a Google search this week. And I don't recommend you do this, but if you Google, how do you grow a church? You're going to see a screen that looks something like this. 11 powerful strategies to grow your church, 15 of the most effective church growth strategies, 10 powerful church growth strategies, 26 strategies to grow your church from scratch. Let's go to that one. 26 is an interesting number. I don't know. (laughs) This is what it says. I didn't make this up. If you're looking for new strategies to grow your attendance, you're not alone. Every month, there are thousands of Google searches for church growth ideas, ways to increase attendance, strategies for reaching more people. So we surveyed and interviewed pastors from 100 of America's fastest growing churches. From that research, we put together 26 strategies to help you boost your church attendance. Number one, define your church growth strategy and goals. When you're measuring growth and impact, be clear on your priority goals, key performance indicators, KPIs, and metrics. Don't be scared off by these corporate sounding terms. Once you have clarity on what you hope to achieve, you can start to develop and implement growth strategies. Number two, try to appeal to everyone. Everyone isn't in the same place regarding their interest in church, so you need to appeal to people at different stages with unique communication. If you understand how marketing and communication funnels work, You can craft appealing content for people at different places in their spiritual walk. I stop there. We're not going to cover the other 24. (laughs) My friends, if warning bells aren't going off, (laughs) there's a problem. KPIs, metrics, marketing funnels. What? (laughs) This is the church. This isn't a business. You know what verse comes to mind? This one. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. 
My friends, how utterly ironic and tragic that leaders of the church, and it's the church in America, are trying to use the wisdom of the world to grow it, completely ignoring God's word. Which tells us what? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's be clear about something. How do you grow a church from scratch? You don't. You can't. I can't. We can't. Because first off, it's not our church. It's God's. Here's what Jesus said. He's in this conversation with Peter, a really important conversation. Peter, Peter is, is asking Jesus some questions, and then Jesus asks him a question back. And he says, Peter, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, can, can you repeat this part in yellow? Who will build a church? Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's Jesus' church, my friends. Belongs to him. He is the one who has promised to build it. It's not up to systems. I need to take a drink. By the way, I realize how annoying that is. I've been watching some of the footage, and like I will pick up this thing and just hold it for like 20 minutes and then set it down and not drink it. So um, it's not up to systems. It's not up to strategies. It's up to our Savior, Jesus Christ, to build his church. By the way, the word church that Jesus uses there, it's only, how many times do you think the word church is used in the Gospels? Let's just survey. I'm going to tell you, two two times, both in the gospel of Matthew. This is the first one, Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church. That word, we looked at it last week, it's the word ecclesia. It means to be called out from the world. Okay, that's the first instance. The second is two chapters later in Matthew 18, where Jesus is talking about church discipline. And he says, talking about an unrepentant sinner who's been approached, confronted in their sin, if they refuse to repent, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, Ecclesia, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Interesting. The only other gospel writer to use this word Ecclesia is Luke, but he doesn't use it in the gospel of Luke. He uses it for the first time in Acts chapter 5. Verse 11 that we looked at last week, right after the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, which, by the way, is technically the first recorded instance of church discipline. It's harsh, (laughs) but it's real. How significant that the word ecclesia is tied to church discipline, discipline for sin in the church. Now, you'll recall this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of property they owned and gave most of the money to the church, but secretly held some back. Now, it's funny, I was thinking about this. If that happened today, because they, they probably got a lot of money, they probably gave a lot of money. Many churches today would probably commemorate them with a, a plaque on the wall, right? Maybe name a room after them 
in the church building. What did God do? He struck them dead on the spot. As we saw last week, their sin was not in withholding money, but withholding the truth and blatantly lying about it, not just to Peter and the apostles, but to God himself. And when Peter confronts Ananias first about lying to the Holy Spirit, that's what he says, and then to Sapphira later, and and he confronts her for testing the Holy Spirit, they both drop dead on the spot. And word spread, and consequently this happened. Great fear, hold on, there's the church. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the context for our passage today. Let's be clear about this fear. This was the fear of God. The fear of the Lord in the Bible is foundational. From cover to cover, we're warned and commanded to walk and grow in the fear of the Lord. This word translated fear here, or mega fear, like we talked about last week, is phobos in Greek. It's two-pronged. It includes the fear of terror and dread over the punishment for our sin that God in his holiness and justice demands. But for followers of Jesus... There's another element here. That fear is superseded by the fear of reverence and awe for the pardon of our sin that God in his grace and mercy offers through his son, Jesus Christ. See, one is the fear of a slave before a menacing owner. It's called servile fear. The other is the fear of a child before their loving heavenly father. That's called filial fear. And both of these are essential to the biblical understanding of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. We need, we need both of these in the right balance. Okay, what is the point? The point is the great fear of the Lord in the church is what led to the greatest growth of the church in the Lord. Let me repeat that. The great fear of the Lord in the church is what led to the greatest growth of the church in the Lord. Here's how this pattern works, okay? First of all, the great fear of the Lord, that leads to great wonders in the Lord, which results in great numbers for the Lord. That's the pattern we see in the book of Acts. We've seen it already. Maybe you didn't catch it. We saw this back in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Verse 43 says, the fear, fear came upon every soul, and then, so there's your fear, then many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and eventually, verse 47, the Lord added daily to their number those we're being saved. Fear, wonders, numbers. With that in mind, look again at our passage today with these highlighted portions in context of verse 11. Great fear, right? Great fear led to what? Many signs and wonders. Consequently, more and more were added to their number. Same pattern. Now, if you recall from a couple weeks ago, after Peter and John were released from their hearing before the Sanhedrin, do you remember that scene? They reported to the believers what had happened. And remember what the believers did? The first thing they did, they prayed. They prayed, and here's what they prayed. They prayed, enable your servants to speak your word, God, with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Our passage today is the answer to that prayer. Look at it. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Signs and wonders. Signs point to something. 
In this case, they point to God's wonder-working power, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the disciples. Wonders referred to people's reaction to the amazement, their amazement over these miracles that the, the apostles were performing. Okay, so there were these signs and these wonders. And Luke doesn't give us the details on those, but we can assume they're the same sorts of things we've already seen and will see further along in the book of Acts. Healings, deliverance from demons, special displays of God's power and blessing, all done in Jesus' name, which is the ultimate point. We've seen this, my friends. In the book of Acts, God's wonders always witness to the word of Christ. Always. They lead to the preaching of the gospel, which, as we see here, took place in this place called Solomon's Colonnade. We've seen this before. It's also known as Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico. It was the expansive covered walkway surrounding the temple. And you can see it there. Just, just a huge area that could accommodate thousands of people. This place was very significant because it was here that Jesus explained his healing power. He explained that everything he did, he did in the name of his father in John 10. It was right here he explained that. And it was here that the lame man was healed in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter and John in Acts 3. And then Peter gets up and what does he do? He explains the miracle. He preaches the gospel. He explains that it's in Jesus' name that this miracle took place. So it's this very significant place because it became the meeting place, really, for the early church. Well, verse 13 says something really interesting. It says this, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Okay, now look at verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, are these two verses contradicting each other? No one else dared join them, them referring to either the apostles or the early believers, except the multitudes of men and women who believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Okay. The idea here is that because of what? Because of the great fear that seized the people as a result of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, no one else dared join the apostles or the believers haphazardly or casually. You see, the deaths of those two people were a powerful, sobering reminder that God is holy, that he takes sin seriously, sin that Jesus Christ suffered and died to save his people from. And so everybody knew from that point on that it was a very serious thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not something you enter into lightly. There is a high standard of righteousness for followers of Jesus Christ in the church. And so the apostles and the early believers were, were highly regarded, respected for their integrity, their righteous standards, which means that those who were added to their number, my friends, were those who greatly feared the Lord and had counted the cost of following Jesus. They were very serious about it. Every moment of our lives as followers of Christ, from our first breath, when, when we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus to our last breath before we enter God's presence in glory is to be marked by the fear of God. I asked you this last week. I'm going to ask you again. How are you doing with that? Do you fear the Lord? Are you growing in the fear of the Lord? 
The fear of God was the foundational starting point of the church, my friends. They knew how to define the fear of God. They knew how to examine their lives for its presence or its absence. We've lost this today. Tragically, this principle, this foundational truth of Scripture, that that we are to walk and grow in the fear of the Lord, it's been lost. It's faded. It's been forgotten altogether. I think the church is all too easily influenced by this culture around us. Self-centered culture. Narcissistic even. Evil, secular. And, and it's, what's happened is, is there's this trend in the Western church, it seems, to believe that God has changed his standards and wisdom to match our sensibilities. Our, uh, our, our insights as, as these people who, who now have this insight into, you know, what, what is right and wrong, really, and looking at our history through this different lens. No. You know, it's interesting. These, these people today are called church growth experts. Uh, <laughs> they claim to have new and better ways to build the church using business world strategies, marketing techniques like we saw earlier, designed to make the gospel more attractive. Thinking, you know what? If we lower the bar on what it means to follow Jesus, that'll draw more people in. If we can sort of soften the message so that it's not so offensive, not so hard, that'll, that'll get people. It's a lie. It's a fatal flaw and fallacy of the seeker-friendly movement. It ignores the fear of the Lord. Before you can be a friend of God, my friends, <laughs> you have to fear him. The gospel is not seeker-friendly. You know that, right? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, the message of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, I want to say this. There is, there is nothing better than being a follower of Jesus Christ. But it is not easy. Amen? Here's what Jesus said. If anyone, Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, that instrument of torture and death daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. That right there is what is required. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. After the Ananias and Sapphira situation with this sobering warning of the gravity of sin and the holiness of God and his his righteous standard for his people in the church, all who heard about it were seized with great fear. Now just imagine for a second, you get those church growth experts together today. Okay, you you put a committee of them together and you present this church growth plan to them. And you say, here's how it's gonna start. It's gonna start with the death of two people Uh, to instill the fear of the Lord. How do you think they'd respond to that? Oh man, like, are you crazy? No way they'd say, that's not seeker-friendly. That's seeker-frightening. That'll scare people off. That will offend them, and they will never, never come back. Guess what happened? (laughs) 
Just think of this verse, Isaiah 55. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts, declares the Lord. The great fear of God instilled in people. It it, it didn't cause them to run away from him. It, It drew them to him for salvation in Jesus' name. That's what happened, my friends. The church didn't shrink. It grew like never before. I love this. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord were added to their number. Again, there is that Greek word multitudes in here. The ESV says multitudes of both men and women. Plethos is the word, which means mass populace of people, massive crowds. We saw last time that the number of believers at this point likely hovered around 10,000 before these verses. Well, that number explodes. In fact, Luke doesn't attempt to count the converts. He's kept record up to this point, but now he doesn't. (laughs) The idea being there's too many to count at this point. In fact, uh, this might have been the greatest single surge of growth in the history of the early church. And as a result, what happens? It says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. There was wonder-working power in and amongst God's people, God's power. Uh, It's interesting because in the ancient world, there was many who believed that shadows had magical, mystical powers, both benevolent and malevolent. Well, seeing the wonders that Peter and the apostles were performing in Jesus' name, the people around became so convinced of the reality and power of Jesus Christ that they believed they could be healed just by the touch of Peter's shadow. Now, do note, it does not actually say, Luke doesn't state that people were healed by Peter's shadow, but they believed they could be because they believed and understood what Peter said. Do you remember Acts 3? Peter said, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this lame man walk? It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. The power of Jesus' name. That is what did it, my friends. That is what was healing the people. Jesus himself. Verse 16, so crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. This is uh, the first mention of the apostles' ministry extending beyond Jerusalem as crowds of people from the surrounding towns came to them with their sick because healing was happening. So if you're sick, you got to come, you got to see the apostles. Jesus is working. He's, he's not here. He's in heaven, but he is at work through the power of his Holy Spirit in the apostles doing amazing stuff that will blow your mind and heal your body. And so they brought people, and I love this. All of them were healed. <laughs> All of them. Do we have people here in need of healing today? Yes. Let's go. Let's go. That's what we would do because that was happening. It was real. People were being healed and not just temporarily for like a few days. No, they were being healed in Jesus' name fully, completely. Now, I think it's important to recognize the unique nature and power of the apostles' healing ministry for sure. 
It was foundational. It was how the church was established. God anointed them in a special way. However, I think we need to also be clear that God is still at work today healing and, and doing wonders and setting captives free in Jesus' name, which is the ultimate purpose of God's miraculous work of healing in the book of Acts. We've seen this. It's never just to restore bodies but to redeem souls in Jesus' name through the proclamation of the good news, the gospel. My friends, I want to assure you of this and maybe reassure some of us of this. For those in Christ who are praying for healing, your prayers will be answered with a yes. Either a yes soon or a yes later, ultimately, at Jesus' resurrection. When we will be raised imperishable with Christ, bodies that will never experience disease or sickness. Praise the Lord. The great growth in the Lord's church, my friends, started with the great fear of the Lord in the church. As we've seen it, this great fear of the Lord was followed by great wonders in the name of the Lord, which gave witness to the word of Christ. And what was the result? Great numbers of followers joined the church. This was church growth God's way, which had nothing to do with seeker-friendly services or marketing strategies or worldly wisdom. It started with the fear of the Lord, relied on the Holy Spirit's wonder-working, gospel-proclaiming power in and through followers of Jesus. And my friends, it's the same today. That's how Jesus built his early church, and it's how he continues to build his church today. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, the end of all matters is this, to fear God and to obey his commands. So the beginning and the end and everything in the middle should be about the fear of the Lord. Greater attendance doesn't matter, my friends, if we're not growing in our reverence and fear of the Lord, which I believe is one of the most accurate measurements of true spiritual growth. And yet, we've said it before, so many Christians today ignore it. They ignore what the Bible teaches about the fear of the Lord, or they dismiss it. And you know what they do? They quote 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. They, they, they use that as a proof text. However, that only proves that they've missed the context and the overall teaching of Scripture. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, bought by the righteous blood of our Savior Jesus, we've been called to walk and grow in the fear of the Lord every single day of our lives. And as we've seen, it means two things. It means trembling, trembling fear of God as as the holy, just judge of the universe who must punish sin. But for those in Christ, it means reverent, joyful fear of God as our merciful heavenly Father who sent his one and only Son, Jesus, to absorb the punishment for us to pay the penalty for our sin in full, to forgive us and make us one with him. And that fear, my friends, leads us not to run away from God, but to draw ever closer to him in love, in faith, in obedience through Jesus Christ. So how can we do that? How can we grow and increase the fear of the Lord in our lives? That's really the question. I think that's what church growth is really all about. Five suggestions I want to leave you with. These are drawn from a wonderful book called Forgotten Fear, Where Have All the God-Fears Gone? 
by pastor and author Albert N. Martin. I only quote this because these are straight out of scripture. This is really a biblical guide to the fear of the Lord. These aren't his ideas, these are God's. And uh, they're gonna sound very familiar to you because we've talked about them already, but here's the first thing. We need to pray fervently for an increase of the fear of God in our lives. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Or as we read in the negative way in James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. So when we pray for an increase of the fear of God, we can pray with unshakable confidence, writes Martin, that we are indeed asking for something that is in accord with God's will. Having this confidence, we can pray for this increase with the firm expectation that God will indeed answer our prayer. Our first prayer every morning, he suggests, should be, Lord, help me this day to walk in thy fear and grow in thy fear. Pray. Number two, feed your mind on the scriptures. There's an inseparable relationship between the special revelation God has made in the scriptures and the fear of God. And this relationship is such that for all intents and purposes, the fear of God can be used as, the, as a synonym for the word of God. Interesting. The overall effect of every truth of scripture is to feed the fear of God. In one way or other, the individual who absorbs the most scripture is the one who will know the most fear of the Lord. Number three, he suggests, feed your soul on the majestic greatness of God. As we contemplate God's majestic greatness, his absolute sovereignty, holiness, his power, his immensity, it is unthinkable that any rational creature would not fear such an awesome God. Feed your soul with the reality of the forgiveness of God, he writes. When we discover that this great, holy, just, omniscient God actually forgives sins and that all of his glorious attributes have been fully engaged to grant me just a, par a just pardon and full acceptance, how can we but help but fear him? The measure to which the fact of wonder of forgiving grace sinks into your soul will be the measure of your fear of God, writes Martin. Therefore, if you would have the fear of God sustained in your heart, feed your soul on God's forgiveness bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And finally, and I love this one, and this will set us up for our fellowship, associate closely with those who walk in the fear of God. We know the influence that we have and where we can choose our friends. Martin suggests make sure they are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. If you do, then associate yourself with those who walk with the Lord in his fear, in covenantal church membership. Gather whenever you can with the family of God. And that's what we are here to do today, my friends. I, I'm going to close just with a word of prayer, and I would just uh, invite you to, to join with me in a, a time of just uh, closing reflection and, and prayer uh, of a committal. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to say thank you for your word today. Father, we, we need to. We've been reminded the, the importance of coming before you with, with fear and trembling. Not, not fear because you're going to strike us dead. And we praise, praise your name that it's not that fear that drives us, but it's the fear of awe and wonder and reverence for the fact that even though we deserve to, to be punished for our sin, Father God, you have absorbed that through your Son. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin in full. 
Father God, I pray that you would instill in every one of your people here a deeper fear of you, fear that would drive us towards heart, heart-filled, grateful obedience to you. Father God, to, to, to the point where we are, are walking in your fear, but Father God, it is, it is joy. It is, it is fearful joy. It is grateful joy, Father God. We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for your word that is alive. We thank you for your word that feeds our soul, and I pray that we would find ourselves feeding on your word more and more so that we would grow in Christ, grow further and deeper into the fear of you, our God and our Savior. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let's uh, stand together, if you're able, as we uh, sing about the name of Jesus. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation,
Amen. Uh, can we just join our hearts in prayer? I want to commit our time uh, in the, the gym to the Lord and our food. Let's just ask God's blessing over that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can join together as your people in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for our, our salvation in him. Thank you for the fact that that is what unites us here as, as brothers and sisters in you. Father God, I pray that it would be a sweet time of fellowship around the tables. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the food that's been, been prepared and all the hands that have been a part of making it. Lord, I pray that it would be a wonderful time, that you would be honored and lifted up, glorified through our conversation, and Father God, that that we would know your joy as we join together in fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay. So instructions are just flock into the gym. There's lots of hot dogs in there, tons of them, uh, lots of veg. If you do have special dietary restrictions beyond what's there, just head down to the the, uh, kitchen. We've got those who will be able to provide something for you. I think there is some other uh, vegan options of hot dogs. So uh, don't leave. I haven't pronounced the benediction, folks. Okay, and and it's a long one, so just get comfortable. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who what? Fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now receive the Lord's blessing. To him who is able to establish you by my gospel... And the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through prophetic writings, to the God of all ages, be glory and honor and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Jesus. Be glory and honor and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Oh,